Again, if you know her, you know why I was hesitant. Come on. 119, that would be awesome. I wouldn't have time for my study, but be that as it may. If you will, turn to Revelation chapter 2. As uh, This is where we will continue in our study of the seven churches. Last week we started our study in the seven churches with the first church that is addressed, and that is the church of Ephesus. If you were not here last week, you can always order a CD if that's what you want to do of the message, or you can always go onto our website and listen to any and all messages that we preach here, that we share here, and so you can go online and uh, catch up on last week's message if you missed it. So, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. They are a a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which are about which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Father in heaven, once again, as we've already been seeking you throughout this time already, that we have been able to worship, partake in communion, read of psalms, Lord God. We're blessed and encouraged because we get to read through Revelation right now, Lord. And so, Father in heaven, bless your word and bless this time and give my brothers and sisters an ear to hear what you say to the church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Church of Smyrna. And once again, we see, as we will continue to see, that in every church that is addressed, Jesus is speaking. If you have a a Bible that has red letters when Jesus is speaking, chapters 2 and 3 are nothing but red letters. And so Jesus is speaking. And there is a message that is being written down as he speaks by the Apostle John. And it is to the messenger of the particular church as we go through the seven churches. Now, somehow that message that he is giving, that is being written down, that is given to the messenger, somehow that messenger is going to convey the message of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ to that church. Now, everybody is going to get the whole revelation as a book, but every church gets their message as well. But they get everybody else's message. And so there's a a message that will be conveyed to the particular church. And it is up to the church to respond to that message. The messenger is not the one who is important. It is the message that is important. The message that is given. The literal church that it is written to needed to respond to what was written to them. Just like Ephesus needed to respond, Smyrna needed to respond to what was written for them as well. The, the church throughout church history needed to respond to the message that they have in the book of Revelation. All of it, but these particular chapters they needed to respond. All the churches throughout all of church history needed to respond to this message. The church today, as a whole, the body of Christ, needs to respond to the message that is given in these chapters here. And us, 
as individuals, those of us who make up the church, (laughs) are to respond and take heed to the message that Jesus gives to each and every one of us. Because I hope you know and you understand by now, if you've been here for any length of time, when you're reading the Word, it's personal. It's written just for you. Oh, it's written for everybody. I understand that, but it's written just for you. So take it personal, okay? So everybody needed to respond. The church, from beginning to end, needs to respond. And it's interesting because at the end of each message that he gives to each church, to the seven churches, it finishes off by saying, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because you see, it is the Spirit of God that continues to give a message, not just back then, but today. And so, if you have ears to hear, hear what God says to you. Again, mostly everybody here has physical ears. Now, you might be a little hard of hearing here and there, or selective hearing here and there. But, today, you need to tune in to what Jesus is saying to what His Spirit is saying. And so these are important messages for all of us. A little background in the city of Smyrna. The city of Smyrna was located about 35 to 40 miles north of the city of Ephesus. Today it is called Izmir. In what we know as Turkey, it is the largest city that is still in function or functioning today. Izmir is, is the third largest city in the country of Turkey. Back then, Smyrna was called the pride or the glory of Asia. The people of Smyrna were very proud of their cities. There was so much going on in that city Um, Like Ephesus, it was a thriving seaport city, and it is still today. It is a seaport city that is still functioning, functioning back then as in today, but back then it was a center of commerce and trade just like Ephesus was because of so much trade going on, so so much commerce coming in. It was also a city of wealth. And architectural splendor. It is believed that they had so many different temples that were there. That up on a hillside there was all these temples. And if you looked at it from afar, it looked like a crown. Of all these things that just kind of going like this. So just the splendor of it all. And I think that's why Jesus at the end or towards the end says, I will give you a real crown. Crown of life. But it was just spectacular. It was gorgeous. Smyrna was a cut above Ephesus to Ephesus. Even though they were both seaport cities, even though they had a lot of similarities, um, if, <clears throat> and I was thinking, I think last week I said, Smyrna was like the, the San Francisco, you know, right? So if Smyrna, or, or if Ephesus was a San Francisco, um, Smyrna was like, and I know it's not a seaport city, was like Berkeley, it, it, it was just a cut above. It boasted of its intelligentsia. It boasted of its libraries. It, it, it boasted of its literature. After all, it was the birthplace of the famous author and epic poet Homer. The people of Smyrna back then were affectionately called homies. Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, maybe not. <laughs> uh, get it because of Homer. So some of you guys are like, "What's a homie?" Um, but anyways, be that as it may, I just thought I'd throw that one in. Uh, see if you guys were live this morning. But it was—it was the birthplace of Homer. You know, there, there was a lot of pride in all of that that that, that was going on in that place because of all the uppity ups that were that lived there again they, they they thought they were cut above everybody they were very proud of their cities of their city and it was also known as the center of idolatrous emperor worship smyrna had won the privilege to be able to build the first temple to the worship of the emperors of rome 
And that happened when they, they finished building it was in uh, 23 A.D. And that is when Tiberius Caesar was in power. And so they had finished the, the, the temple to worship the emperor at that time. Now, although they had already been in this type of worship for a couple hundred years already to the goddess of Rome, Dia Roma, um, the, it, this was a spiritual symbol of, of the, the, the Roman Empire. And so it was only a matter of time as they were already into this Dia Roma that they were worshiping emperors or, or, or the empire that they began to worship the, the emperors themselves. They started worshiping them, first the dead ones and then the, the ones that were living. And it was Roman Emperor uh, Domitian. He was the first to demand worship under the title Lord. So after, or when he came into power, he demanded this of his people, that he would be called Lord as a test of their political loyalty. He was the same emperor, by the way, who banished John the Apostle onto the island of Patmos. So it was in this time period that this, this is being written that this emperor is demanding worship from his people. And so it was expected of all the Roman citizens, of all the Roman Empire somehow, that they would come, including the Christians, to come and worship the Roman emperor. And once a year, once a year they were all to come and they were to burn incense on the altar of the Godhead of Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. And all they needed to do was grab a pinch of this incense and as they're passing by, just throw it in the fire and say, Caesar is Rome and go on. And they could go do whatever they wanted to do after that. And this was in the city of Smyrna. Okay, in the city of Smyrna, they were doing all this, and all they had to do was just throw a pinch in there, and then they can go on with their bad selves, and they can do whatever they wanted to. They would receive a certificate when you claim that Caesar is Rome. They would give you a certificate, and you were good for another year, and you could go worship any god you wanted to go worship. But the Jews, the Jews were exempt. You see, the Jews had been around for a while, and the Romans already tolerated them, and they let them have their own religion. And so they were exempt from this practice. In other words, they had been grandfathered in. So no big deal, right? No big deal. All everybody had to do was pay homage to the emperor, whether they liked it or not, whether they believed in him or not, whether they voted for him or not, all they had to do was throw a pinch of incense into, into, onto the altar and they would be left alone. Besides, it was only a pinch. It wasn't like huge. You didn't have to pay for it. You just go. And it was just a few words that you had to say. That's all it is. So it shouldn't be a big deal. It really meant nothing in that sense. But here's a little side note, and I was thinking of this as I was kind of studying this, a little side note for the word Caesar. That was the title for the Roman emperor. The Russians used the word czar to replace Caesar, and the Germans, they replaced that word in their language with Kaiser. So a Caesar was a Tsar, was a Kaiser. Now, because we live in California, and I was thinking about this, we just so happen to have a healthcare provider by that name, Kaiser, whether you have it or not. And I just thought that th it was interesting how the government has just taken over all this healthcare stuff. And I thought, how many, how many in the United States how many are going to be forced to worship at the altar of health care? Interesting. Interesting in what we are studying today. How it was the Roman Empire that demanded, dem demanded 
homage, that you would pay homage to them as the government. (laughs) And how today people make decisions, huge decisions, on their life, whether they're going to have health care or not, or how they're going to pay for it or not, or how they're going to be involved or not. And whether we like it or not is now the law of the land, huh? Isn't that interesting? How many of us will have to bite our tongue or, or go and give a pinch and give in to all of this? Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody needs health care, right? No, not everybody does. <laughs> but the government is telling you you have to now. And so anyways, man, I could get off on, on all of this. But anyway, Smyrna was, a very, was known as the persecuted church. So that was just a side note, kind of throwing at you guys. It was known as the persecuted church and the church that was under pressure. It was being squeezed and crushed from all sides, from the Romans, even from the Jews. And from those who were into idolatry worship, they were all being, these Christians, this church was being pressed. Now, interestingly enough, in Smyrna, as all this is going on, it's a literal church. Ephesus is not going through that. The other churches aren't going through through what Smyrna is going through, but Smyrna, this city, was, <clears throat> was going through all these things and they were crushing and pressing and bringing pressure upon the church to do things like this, to bow down, to just give a pinch. They were, the, these Christians in Smyrna were being called atheists because they didn't believe in the emperor. They didn't believe in idol worship, so they were being blasphemed and slandered. They were living in a day when the church was hated. They were outlawed, basically. And they were being persecuted. And the name Smyrna means myrrh. And myrrh is a fragrant or perfume. It was used for anointing oil or perfumes. But most of the time it was used to embalm the dead. When extracting the oil from the bark, the tender bark of the myrrh tree, it gave off a fragrance. But in order to really get that fragrance, it had to be crushed and it had to be pierced. What an appropriate name for this church. For this first century church. Because this first century church, because they were being pressured and everything was coming against them, they were giving off this fragrance to Christ throughout the area. You see, people knew who these Christians were because they weren't bowing down. And, 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 and to be a Christian in Smyrna was basically your death nail. <laughs> you, you just didn't play church. Because, again, if you compromise, it's like you're not a true believer. Boom. The true believers were not bowing down. And so, because they were being pressured and crushed and spared, and pierced, they were giving off this fragrance of Christ, which in turn brought death to many of the believers. So Jesus describes himself to them as the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. So he portrays himself as the eternal one, the one that has always been. You see, Jesus was there at creation. He was there When death entered, he came in the flesh to die. And then he conquered death and he will judge death at the end. And he will cast it into the lake of fire. But he himself will remain forever. And so he's encouraging this church saying, hey, I understand from beginning to end what you're going through. I am the first. I am the last. I was dead. You're going to die. I've conquered death. Don't worry about it. (laughs) So he's encouraging them. I've been there. I've died and I have come to life and you have abundant life in me. And so he's encouraging this church because he knew the pressures that were coming against them. This church throughout history or in history can be represented in in church history with the period called the Age of Martyrs which lasted from about A.D. 60 to the rise of the first Christian emperor, Constantine the Great, 
in A.D. 324. And so for almost 200 years, the church of Smyrna represented that time period because a lot of people were being martyred. It was a dangerous time in church history to be a Christian, but also in that literal time, in that literal city, it was a dangerous time. But here's the fact that I learned a while back that that there have been more martyrs in the 20th century that just passed than in any time in history. And I could guarantee you that the 21st century will eclipse that in no time. Because we're seeing it today. With the rise of ISIS, we're seeing that Christians are being beheaded left and right. They're being drowned. They're being put in cars and, 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 and you know, they're being shot just to see what happens. You know? They're just being real brutal and they're going after Christians for the most part. But we're going to see the rise and even more rise of martyrdom in this century. And he says in verse 9, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. And Jesus was well aware of all that was going on with this church. But Jesus wasn't talking about their everyday tribulations and trials that they were going through. No, he's talking about the pressure that they were under. He's talking about the affliction and the anguish that, were, that, 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 that they were facing each and every day, more so than just a regular trial. Again, but in that day, a regular trial was pretty hardcore because if you were a Christian, they were coming against you. He knew the distress and the pressing troubles that were upon them constantly because they were standing up, because they had this fragrance of myrrh, basically. He knew what they were getting hit with. All because they refused to worship the emperor. All because many of them were saying no to giving a pinch. Life was made hard for the Christians. There was constant danger. They were having to meet in secret oftentimes, laying low. These Christians in the city of Smyrna had lost many of their freedoms from the other ones, from the other citizens. There was a punishment that came for not worshiping the emperor. And that was imprisonment and or death. All because they weren't going along with the program. But you see, there was a solution for that. There was a total solution for that if they didn't want to face imprisonment or death. And this solution, and it would stop right away. All they had to do is burn a pinch of incense at the altar of the godhead of, 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 uh, of Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. That's all they had to do, and they would be left alone. I mean, they didn't even have to mean it. <laughs> they just had to do it. And they could have just gone back to their normal life and they could have went back and just worshipped Jesus. That's all they had to do. Just give a pinch and just say a few words and they would be left alone and they could worship Jesus in their churches, in their homes, on the street if they wanted to. And even if they had some Jewish blood in them, all they had to say is, I'm a Jew. And they would be exempt. They could have got out of it. That is where the Christian church, Smyrna, found themselves. All they had to do is burn a pinch of incense. And all they had to do is just compromise just a pinch. That's all they had to do. Just compromise a pinch. Just a give a little. Take a little. And all would be well. But you see, they were not willing to give an inch or a pinch. <laughs> they were not willing to call anybody else Lord. 
And that was the tribulation that they were facing. And it reminded me of the three young men in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were told, you need to bow down. And they said, no. And they told the king, if we die, we die. But we're not bowing down. You see, this was a serious church, man. They were, they were facing serious issues in their time period. Smyrna was a wealthy city. The commerce, the trade that was going on, man, you could start a business in no time whatsoever and make money at it. They were a wealthy, thriving church. They had a thriving economy. But the Christians were in poverty. Things were being taken away from them and the government was not stopping it, not whatsoever. Matter of fact, they were influencing it. There was an economic persecution and it was clearly seen and it was caused it was clearly caused because of their Christianity and the authorities were doing nothing about it. Matter of fact, they were the ones that were encouraging all you have to do is compromise. All you have to do is give a pinch. That's all you've got to do. And and we'll leave you alone. Just bend. Be flexible, be tolerant. That's all you got to do. And we will leave you alone. That's what they were facing back then. (laughs) That's what they were facing back then. The refusal to pinch an inch was costing them economically. Even though the whole city was experiencing an economic boom. They were being targeted for the refusal to compromise. The word poverty here does not just mean, hey, you're working hard, but you can just never get ahead and you're always below the line. That's not the word poverty here. The word poverty poverty here in, in the Strongs and in Thayer's is beggarly. The condition of one destitute of riches and abundance, deep, that is, extreme poverty, they were losing it all. They were, the, the government was coming in or letting people come in and take their businesses. These people were educated. These people were schooled. They were skilled. But they weren't allowed to, to, to ex- excel because the government was coming against them. And they were losing it all. All because they would not give a pinch. A pinch. How much is a pinch? It's this much, Right? I think that's a pinch. You know, I, I was going to bring some salt and, and do that, but it's like, nah, I could probably get it all messy. <laughs> but you see, for a pinch, they would not be in this pinch <laughs> that they were in if they just gave a pinch. You know, as I was thinking about this, as I was studying this, I thought 50 years ago, 25 years ago, even 10 years ago, we would, be, we would be talking about how this is happening in other parts of the world. But we're there right now, aren't we? Many of you who love watching the news like I do, who are engaged politically in, in so many different ways, if you have not heard what is happening to Christian businesses today because they do not bow down to, to, to the altar of of whatever correctness, political correctness, they are being railroaded. <laughs> they are being taken to, to the cleaners. They are being fined for, for not pinching or giving a pinch at the altar of compromise. People are, are losing their businesses because they do not want to bow down at the altar of compromise or tolerance. They're standing up. They're standing up for what they believe, and because of that, they're having to go through tribulation. They are facing poverty, (laughs) and they are being blasphemed, slandered, called bigoted. If I was preaching this message 10 years ago, it's like, man, that's the way it's happening in other parts of the world. But thank God we live in the United States of America The Christian nation, hallelujah. No, guys, this is where we're at. We have an administration that is so anti-Christian. 
not anti-religion. Not anti-religion, not at all, people. It is anti-Jesus. They are attacking because you, you, know, you, you, you see all this stuff about the Christian bakeries and, and these people going up. They're not going to go into a Muslim bakery and say, hey, make me a cake for my same-sex marriage or wedding. They will not go. They're going after Jesus. That's who they're going after. They're not going to all these other places. And it all has to stem and look and, and, and be around the whole thing of marriage <laughs> that is sanct- sanctified by Jesus. So anyways, I digress a little bit here. But Jesus tells them, you are rich. You're rich. <laughs> I know what you're going through, and despite all the poverty, all the persecution, all the slander, you are rich. You are rich. He says in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the suffering, Paul writing, of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, in this world, in the age that we are living in, as Christians, if you refuse to pinch just a little, burn a pinch, if you refuse, if you stand up, then you're going to face persecution poverty, and blasphemy. You know, this past week, because of all the rulings that are going on, I'm getting all these emails, this is what you've got to do as a church, man, to, to and I understand all that. But I am willing to lose it all, people. I don't care what we have to lose here. I will give it all up. Because we are not going to bend. I am not going to bend. I hope you don't bend. We're not allowed to bend. You know, we, we, we have an example in the church of Smyrna right here. He says, all these things are coming against you, but you're rich. You are rich. You stand on that. We are rich as a people. And if they come against us, and, and, and they will, even a little feeling that might happen, but we will refuse to pinch, to give a pinch. And I want you to understand that because if you show up one Sunday, it's like, hey, whatever happened to Zeke? It's like, oh, he's locked up. (laughs) I'll write you letters. Bring me some cigarettes. I don't smoke, but I hear that's what they do in prison. I hear that's what they, you bring them in prison. I don't know. They were a poor church that really was rich in the things of God in contrast or comparison to the church of Laodicea where it says that they, had, they were rich and had need of nothing. And yet he says, you're poor. You're poor in the things of God. Guys, it is better to be rich, be a rich, poor church than a poor, rich church. And it's, it's the same with, with us as individuals. It's better to be rich, poor individuals, believers, than poor, rich individuals. Proverbs 13, 7 says, There is one who makes himself rich yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. You see, in the things of God, guys, you are rich. You're you're the richest people around. If you're not willing to give a pinch of anything and not call anything else Lord, you're rich. You're rich in the things of God. He says, I know the blasphemies of those who say they are Jews and are not. The word blasphemy here is slander and abuse or abuse. You see, there was a smear campaign going on against the church of Smyrna by those who were Jews and by those who called themselves Jews. There was a smear campaign going on. And guess what's happening today? (laughs) Again, if you're in the news, man, Christians are being smeared. Not any other religion. No, they're, they're giving a pass. 
And I just thought that was appropriate that, that we study these portions right now. As I said in the beginning of the year, guys, what God has shown us to stay the course, to move forward, to not let anything move us, because all these decisions that are out of our hands are coming upon us. What are we going to do? Stay the course, not be moved, not be afraid, as he's going to tell us here. And so these Jews who call themselves Jews but were not were blaspheming these people. You see, the real descendants of Abraham, the true descendants of Abraham, would never act like that. Jesus said that to their face, to the religious leaders in John chapter 8. When they were coming against them and saying, you know, our father is Abraham, he's saying, no, you know who your father is? It's the devil. Because Abraham would never have acted like this towards me. He knew me. (laughs) He knows who I am. One could say that these Jewish religious leaders were a synagogue of Satan because they weren't doing the work of God. They They were coming against the work of God. But it's not to say that they that Satan actually has or had a synagogue. Just like we know that, that we don't have a playground in our minds, but there's a saying that says an idle mind is the devil's playground. So it was more of a, a figure of speech that these people that were coming against the Christians were more of a synagogue of Satan than they were a synagogue of God. It could be that these Jews who, who ought to be standing up for those who are following Christ were partnering with the Romans, the government. In other words, these Jews were possibly in bed with the devil as they came against the Christians of Smyrna. And it could also be that some of the Christians were converting to Judaism in an effort to avoid being persecuted and in destitute. And so they were saying they were Jews, but they were not. Whoever they were, they were actually working against the things of God and the people of God, and they were slandering the church. And they saw nothing wrong with burning a pinch of of incense at the altar of Caesar, and calling Caesar Lord. First John 3.10 says, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother. Again, Jesus had gone through all the same tribulation, poverty, and blasphemy as the church of Smyrna. And he knew exactly what they were going through. In verse 10, he says, Do not fear of those things which are about to, uh, you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, and you will be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Matthew Jesus speaking in Matthew 10, 28, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. (laughs) We're not to fear what man can do. We're not to fear what Satan can do. We're to fear God and him only. Because he says, do not fear. We have or we don't have to have fear of anything in our lives. Jesus knew what they were about to suffer. And he wasn't going to stop it. He was going to let it happen. And see, some people can look at it and look at it and say, but if you know what's about to happen, why don't you intervene? And he says, because you're going to be tested. So don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. You see, when, when, when fear, when, when there is no fear of what man can do to us, and there is no fear of what Satan can do to us, then we have victory. One of the bishops of, of Smyrna, by the name of Polycarp, as a young man, probably knew John the Apostle, heard him, maybe heard this, however it came out. 
But he, he lived a little while after he did, and, and he was willing to suffer because he would not pinch or give a pinch at the altar. And when they told him, all you have to do is recant. All you have to do is say, Caesar is Lord. He says, why would I ever do that? If for 86 years he has been faithful to me, why would I be faithless to him? And when he was going to be burned at the stake, when they brought the, the nails to, to hammer him onto the stake so he wouldn't say, he says, hey, put those hammers down, those nails down, I will die for my Lord. Paraphrasing. And they lit the fire. And he didn't. He says, I won't even flinch. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. In Romans 8, 28. No, no, not 28. 37. It says, yet we are more than conquerors. In all these things, we are more, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life, death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing. Nothing. We are to fear nothing, people. What man can do to us, what this economy will do to us, what this government will do to us what this world will do to us, what this enemy of, 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 of our souls will do to us. He says, indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. Jesus is letting them know that they have a real enemy in the devil. He is a real enemy. Enemy. He's a viable enemy out there. He, he is a sinister enemy that is coming against us as the church but you see he's always been the enemy of god ever since his fall he was the enemy of god and he is and he will always be the enemy of the church satan does not want to help you in any way satan is not there to comfort you he is there to kill steal and destroy but jesus said i've come to give you abundant life i've given you all that don't fear he hates the church because the church is the bride of Christ. <laughs> now the devil himself was not the one that was going to throw them in prison. More than likely, for the most part, it was the government that would be throwing them in prison. Chew on that for a little bit. <laughs> you see, it's the government that has the right to imprison its people. He says... The Roman government will throw some of you in prison. You see, the, the Roman government didn't tolerate dissension. <laughs> if, you didn't, if you didn't pinch at the altar of Caesar, they were going to deal with you. That you may be tested, he said. Now, Jesus and God doesn't, doesn't test us to break us. He never does that. You're not going through a test to break you in that sense. He allows us to be tested to fortify us. He does that so that we can become stronger, so that we can be purified like the refiner's fire. <laughs> we go through the fire so we can come out of it purer than before, so that we can be more like Jesus and be able to trust Him even more. He says, you will have tribulation for 10 days. And that was maybe not literal, but a term that mean, meant short. You're going to have tribulation for a short time. For a limited time. For I consider that these, these pressures of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory. It's just a time, guys. How old are you? How, 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 how long are you going to be here on this earth? It's only a little time. It's a vapor. If we suffer, we suffer. If we die, we die. Then what? <laughs> then what? Jesus says, be faithful till death. Be faithful. I could guarantee you our brothers and sisters who are suffering in all parts of the world, those who are being marched out and being, getting their heads cut off. Man, oh man. You see these pictures and you're going, right on, right on. They have been faithful to death. They're not wanting this. They're not looking for this. But they're being faithful to death. 
And for the most part, if you watch the video, man, they're not moving. They're not budging. Cut my head off. I don't care. <laughs> what can man do to us? If they bring death, guess what? It ushers them into the presence of God. That's it. Jesus, he says, be faithful till death. Be faithful. Because even though your life ends here, you are being ushered into abundant life and eternal life. Just as Jesus has promised. Psalms 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. He who, he says, he who was dead and came to life has victory. That's how he introduced himself. He who was dead and came to life, he says, guess what? They already killed me, people. <laughs> I've already gone through that for you. And guess what? I came back to life. I beat death. Death doesn't have a sting anymore. <laughs> there is no sting in death. Jesus has victory over death. And so Jesus is encouraging the church of Smyrna and encouraging us, a church, the church, <laughs> to be faithful until death. Even unto death. Jesus' promise, or Jesus promises to give life to those who are faithful until death. The reward is eternal life, a crown of life. They will never, you will never die. It's a crown of life. <laughs> It's interesting how he puts that. Be faithful until death and I give you a crown of life. What? <laughs> you live forever. This church was dealing with life and death situations. He who is the first and is the last, the one who was dead and came to life, has it all covered. He has it all covered. And he says in verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear what the, spirits, the Spirit says to the churches. Take heed to this message, my brothers and sisters. In this day and age that we get to live in, what a privilege we get to live in this day and age. What a privilege that as this world gets darker, we shine brighter. We have this fragrance that would be a stench to them. But to Jesus, ah, sweet-smelling aroma. That's who we are. That's who we are. And he says, He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Turn over to a few chapters over to chapter 20, Revelation 20. You see, he says that the second death cannot touch them or hurt them because they have been born twice. <laughs> the saying says this, be born twice, die once. Be born once, die twice. As born-again Christians, we have been born once physically and once spiritually, so we die one time. For those who have not become Christians, they've been born once and they will die a physical death and then they will die the second death. And this is what it says in Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw the great white throne and him who sat on it and, though, and from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was found no place in them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead, the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged according to the works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And everyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, which is outer darkness, never to have the presence of God ever, ever, ever. That is pure, unadulterated 
hell at its finest. <laughs> but you see, he promises us here, those who overcome shall not be hurt by the second death. Church, if you're in the church, you're not going to be hurt. Where are you at today? Have you been born twice? If you are, you're going to die once. But if you've only been born once, you're going to die twice. I'm not here to scare you. The Bible just kind of plainly says it. <laughs> I just get to be one of the messengers. Amen? Amen? Let's stand as we finish it off. Father in heaven, bless your holy name. Thank you for your word, Lord Jesus, for just giving us giving us your word straight up, Lord. You've shown us, you've revealed to us, Lord, what this church of Smyrna was going through. Lord, us today as Americans living in this amazing country, Lord, has been, there, there has been such a turnaround against us as the church, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, Lord. And we thank you that you have saw it fit for us to live in this time period. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray for them, Lord God, that they would truly understand what your word was telling them today. If, there, if, if they have already been bowing down and, and giving a pinch of compromise in their life, I pray that today they would repent. I pray that this morning, Lord God, you would just capture their hearts, Lord God, and they would stand strong, no matter the outcome. No matter the tribulation, the poverty, or the blasphemy that will come against them and us, Lord. Jesus, help us to be faithful. He told us not to be afraid. Lord, help us not to fear. In any way of what man can do to us, what this world system will do to us, or what the enemy himself will do to us, Lord. Help us not to be afraid. You've given us courage. You've given us encouragement through your word, Lord God. Let us stand on your word because it is true and will not fail us, Lord. I pray that we would be faithful until death, Lord. That we would not flinch or give an inch or give a pinch in any way, Lord. And so, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for this time that we get to live and help us to be lights, a fragrance to you, Lord God, even if it's a stench to the world. Help us, Lord God, to be a fragrance for you. We bless you and we thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word, Lord God. Bless my brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here right now that does not know you, Lord God, that it's only been born once, I pray that this morning they would be born again and be born twice. Lord, speak to them. Show them who you are with your power and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.